0: Be sober and watch, because your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he might devour. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Now before the coming of Christ, all the nations of the world, every last one of them excepting, of course, the Hebrew nation, were in bondage to the devil's. The Psalm 95, uh, verse 5 states, all the gods, the Gentiles are devils. All the gods of the Gentiles are devils. And Christ our Lord came for all the tribes of the world. All of them, not just the Jews, but all of them. And that in spite of the fact that they were locked into varying degrees of demonic darkness. He came to free us all from sin and darkness. As it states in 1 John 3:8, for this purpose the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's scripture. For this purpose, the Son of God appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. You don't need me to point out to you that in our day and age, his graces, his protection against the devils are needed more than perhaps any time since our ancestors converted. Our society is drowning in a flood of pagan and occult practices. We've always had a problem in this country from the beginning because it's got such Masonic roots, and that is a pagan cult. But now it's gone out from that, huh? Superstition is everywhere. It's everywhere. So today we're going to take a closer look at the sin of superstition. St. Thomas tells us that, quote, superstition is a vice contrary to the virtue of religion. It consists in offering divine worship either to whom it ought not or in a manner it ought not, close quote. So superstition is the offering of divine worship either to whom it ought not be offered or in a manner it not ought be offered. Now, elsewhere I've covered the the sin of offering divine worship to the true God in an undue manner when I've discussed the the problems, the sins of Catholics participating in Seder meals. We're not going to deal with that aspect of superstition today. Uh, St. Thomas deals actually with that particular category of sin in question 103, the first part of the summa, for those people that are interested in that. But today we're going to talk about the sin of superstition that consists in offering divine worship to whom it not ought to be offered. So, in regards to those types of superstitious worship, we'll run down three categories used by moral theologians. The three categories are idolatry, divination, and vain observance. And as we'll soon see, the sins from each one of those categories can easily blend together. So number one, idolatry. Idolatry means giving divine honors to any creature. Divine honors would be things like worship, offering sacrifice, and so forth. I'll read from a commentary on idolatry from a book that was published in 1957. Quote, In missionary countries, it is found that the primitive, uneducated pagan worships stones, trees, animals, It is questionable whether they worship always worship the thing itself. Image worship is animistic in its lower form and symbolic in its higher. The concrete object is viewed as being visibly permeated or animated by the presence of a spirit of which it is the dwelling place. The educated pagans adopt the symbolic explanation, that is, that the image is a symbol of some attribute of the deity. Close quote. So okay, so obviously, what was true in 1957, not so very long ago, what was once now true of pagan missionary countries, is now true virtually everywhere in our beloved country. Neo-paganism, earth worship—I mean, I'm from uh, Montana, and Western Montana is just swarming with earth worship type uh, situations. When you have big wildernesses, grizzly bears, eagles. And wolves, those are like totemic creatures, literally, to them. It just attracts this kind of thing. But we have neo paganism, earth worship, Wicca, voodoo, bruhiria, santeria, even blatant Satanism, you name it, we got it. Therefore, Siket the has built a stone circle so that the pagan cadets and staff can worship there. They're pagan chaplains that serve the troops and the military as well as the prisoners incarcerated in our prison systems. We don't want to have any illusions. Barring divine intervention, this is here to stay. That's the reality. The America that you older folks remember is gone. We're now the counterculture. For all intents and purposes, culturally speaking, this is a blatantly pagan nation with a few tattered vestiges of Christian culture. And all the elections in the world aren't going to change that. We lost the cultural war. We lost. Let's be realistic. We've lost every battle in the cultural war. No exceptions. Every single one. This is a pagan nation, and idolatry is just going to become more and more blatant as time passes. So the first category of sin of superstition is idolatry, giving divine honors to any creature. Second, divination. This is from another moral man. The sin of divination is committed when the devil is invoked, either explicitly or implicitly, in order to discover secret or hidden knowledge. Again, the sin of divination is committed when the devil is is invoked either explicitly or implicitly in order to discover what is secret and hidden. There's explicit invocation of the devil when his aid is expressly implored. For example, the devil sometimes takes possession of the body of a human being and manifests what is secret through it. This was called Pythonism. You can read about the slavery with the Pythonic spirit in Acts 16. But nowadays, we call it channel. Another example is when at certain places the devil gave oracles through idols. This was common in ancient times. Uh, I've, I, I don't have it handy right here. It's on my shelf, but I have a book. One of the, the fathers, he converted from this, but he, there used to be this stone, this stone that would talk to him when he was still a pagan, and before he discovered that this was a devil. You know, he knew it was some kind of angel, but they didn't have their categories right. So before discovered this stuff was really common in ancient times. I fully expect, we'll really be seeing a lot of this in the very near future. So one kind of, de- of divination occurs when the devil is explicitly invoked, as in the case of channeling or oracles pronounced by idols. The devil is implicitly invoked when means that are not sufficient for the purpose and have not been ordained by God for that purpose are used to find out hidden things. For example, the devil is implicitly invoked in palm reading when the lines of the hand are consulted as indications of the future or when some chance event is taken as foretelling what's going to happen as an omens. Other examples of divination with an implicit invoking of the devil are quite common. A few examples are scrying, that's looking in a crystal ball or a mirror to tell the future, reading tarot cards, or seances. A seance is sometimes called necromancy because the object of a seance is to summon the spirits of the dead. The people are actually communicating with devils and devils can be unbelievably convincing here. Or perhaps the most common practice in our society of the impli- implicit invocation of the devil is using a Ouija board, very common. Using dowsing rods or maps to find water or, or minerals, uh, using pendulums to answer questions, these are all implicit invocations the devil uh all sins of divination. Now all these practices are grievously sinful as such, not to mention dangerous. The actual case on which the movie The Exorcist was based came about as a result of playing with a Ouija board. And anybody that knows exorcists, and I know quite a few, there's a lot of stories that they can tell you on these kind of things. So the second category of superstitions of superstition is divination, invoking the devil either explicitly or implicitly in order to discover secret and hidden knowledge. Chandlers, psychics, palm reading, tarot card reading, horoscopes, things like that, they're everywhere. Ouija boards are sold in toy stores. It's not a toy, but that's America. Third, vain observance. As we've just seen, divination uses disproportionate means to discover what is secret or hidden by the help of the devil. Vain observance also uses disproportionate means but in order to obtain certain or astounding effects from the devil by his help. It's important to note that as in the case of divination, the practitioners are not necessarily aware of the devil's aid. In fact, they may very well not even believe in the devil. So vain observance is the use of charms, spells, sorcery, Kabbalistic signs to preserve persons and, and things from harm or to cause harm to persons or things or to cure wounds and diseases or to acquire knowledge without study. Perhaps the larger category of sins in vain observance could be called witchcraft or magic or sorcery, but vain observance also uh, refers to the superstitious observance of various things and behaviors, which are considered lucky or unlucky, a lucky horn, a lucky rabbit foot, not walking under the ladder, Friday the 13th, or out where we're from, uh, throwing your hat on the bed. In, in cow country, is supposed to be bad luck, so I always make a point of throwing my hat on the bed when I go somewhere, when I'm visiting where we're at, just as a general statement, you know, that wouldn't make me, no, no nobody out here would notice that, but out west that'd definitely be noticed in, in cow country. Morally speaking, there's no difference between divination and witchcraft. Like divination, witchcraft may contain an explicit or an implicit compact with the devil. If there's an explicit pact of the devil, even if it's under the guise of some pagan god or goddess, there will always be mortal sin. Besides that, it's extremely dangerous, and not only to the practitioners. In an absolutely huge, huge percentage of the cases treated by exorcists, witchcraft, or sorcery of some sort has been involved. And many times the victim has no idea how the predicament came about or that he even was the victim of a spell. It's only after the exorcist forces the devil in the name of God to reveal the open door in which he entered, this comes out, because the exorcist has power, he gets it from the bishop, because every diocese has an exorcist, he's called a bishop, and he has jurisdiction over every devil in, that, in his diocese, huh? and so either he has to do the exorcisms himself, or he has to sign a priest or priest to do it, under the pain of mortal sin, it's another reason you need to pray for bishops, it's getting better in this country, but it wasn't that long ago where there were almost no exorcists in our country. At any rate, there are certain things an exorcist under, with delegation can demand certain things from the devil and he can, he, basically they torture him until they tell him the truth. And they have to torch the truth out of them because they're liars. But they need to know, you know, what their name is, because it's a personal thing, because they have to command them all. What their mission is, what the open door is, how they got in. They want to know who the chief, because they work together. They all hate each other, but they work together. What's required to free this person? What's going to be a sign of a leaving? that last one they're always lying about. But the, the point is, they want to know what the open door is. How did you get into this person? And that's when they find out about the sorcery or the spell and try to find out uh, then they beat out on what's required to break it, etc. if there's something else. Please don't look into this stuff on the internet, because that is actually an open door. Don't think they don't put spells on the internet, they do. You know, when you tell a young priest you got to go bless a the house, there's going to be stuff flying around and all that, there's three questions you ask, you know, because uh, you, you're thinking you want to find out what, what, what's happened here. Have, number one is, do they have the Internet? Number two, do they have the Internet? Number three is, do they have the Internet? Because they've been on a bad website. A lot of them, people don't have all their clothes on because there's spells associated with a lot of those, too. It's not like this is a warning is brought to you by Satan. You already know it if you are there. A lot of that stuff's got spells, so don't do research on this on the internet. There's some good Catholic stuff. It's not a good thing to get curious about, but we need to know about it. Okay, so to answer the question that many of you are thinking, yes, sorcerers can cast spells which harm other people, but this shouldn't be the slightest bit amazing. Everyone knows that if they really want to hurt someone and don't want to do it themselves, it's possible to enter in a business deal with a certain kind of evil person, a hit man, a sicario, or whatever you want to call him, and contract for that evil person to harm the third party. Everyone's heard about putting a contract out on someone. We all know that. The situation here is basically the same. Devils are the most evil kind of persons, far, far more evil than any hitman or sicario. It's possible for sorcerers to contact devils in order that they hurt a third person. We call it putting a curse on someone, putting a hex, casting a spell, there's different things. This has always been common in certain parts of the world and in some cultures, but now it's become very commonplace here in America. Stay in the state of grace. Say your rosary. Wear your brown scapula and always, always bless your food before you eat. And basically you're not going to have much to worry about. Besides staying in the state of grace, blessing your food before you eat or making a little cross over something you're going to drink is probably the most essential habit to get into because probably the most common way of putting a curse on someone is like placing a cursed item in the food or drink of the intended victim. But if you bless your food or drink, spiritually speaking, you're going to disarm that spell. It's, the, the idea of sacraments, it, it, it just turn everything we do upside down and backwards and you can, that's how their world works. So, they have like the anti sacraments. We have Christ that comes in our life. They have these these things that bring devils into people's lives. Huh? Okay. So, the third category of sins and superstitions, vain observance, invoking the devil, either explicitly or implicitly, in order to obtain certain effects and marvels from the devil. It's everywhere. Just like the rest of them, witchcraft, sorcery, curses, so-called love charms, uh, those don't actually cause love. If they actually work, it's lust. Uh, potions, brujeria, voodoo, santria. This stuff, you know, I've been working down, down south for a long time. I've been, some of the things, I've, the, the stuff you have to take out of a house, almost a pickup load of some of this kind of stuff uh, in certain of the subcultures when you're going over to bless it because they have so many things in there that have to go. It's unbelievable. But you know, uh, candles of water, uh amulets, crystals, uh, certain types of holistic medicine. Again, let's not have any illusions. Barring divine invention, this is here to stay. This is a pagan nation, and this is the growing religion. These are all first commandment issues. There's a lot more that could be said, but it's only a sermon on superstition, not a course on the occult. Okay, so what do we see? We've seen superstition is a sin of offering divine worship either whom it not be offered or in manner it ought not be offered. We've taken a quick look at three categories of superstitious worship. We've seen that the first category of superstitious worship is idolatry, it means giving divine honors to any creature. We've seen the second category of sins of superstition is divination, which means invoking the devil either explicitly or implicitly in order to discover secret and hidden knowledge. We've seen that the third category of sins of superstition is vain observance, which means invoking the devil either explicitly or implicitly in order to attain certain effects or marvels from the devil. Okay, so the simple fact, as our ancestors were called from the deadly darkness of divination, witchcraft, and pagan idolatry, and given the priceless gift of the true faith, the faith without which it is impossible to please God. And yet, even as we celebrate that fact by hearing Holy Mass today, all around us, our friends and neighbors and relatives are turning back and entering back into that bondage to the very devil's that our ancestors were freed from. <laughs> the mercy that God has shown each of us in giving us the true faith is a very great history in the best of times. And in this culture of chaos and apostasy, we should show our gratitude by very carefully preserving it. Now, before we close, there's two uh, specific dangers that many people are striving to be good Catholics you need to be warned about. Them. These are only warnings. I don't have the time today to develop the topics, but I will warn you. First warning pertains to certain practices imported from the East, which by their very nature produce mental states, altered states of consciousness. And they're characterized by significant reduction of logical thought and accompanied by passivity of the will. These practices, by their very nature, produce altered states of consciousness, and it it, it ends up with a significant reduction of logical thought and a passivity of the will. It has nothing to do with Christian prayer or meditation, and there's no way to throw holy water at it. Practices that produce altered states of consciousness can open doors to demonic influence. Parenthetically, the so called recreational drugs also produce in, uh, these sorts of consciousness, and that can open doors to demonic influence. It's not for nothing the book of the apocalypse, the word for witchcraft or sorcery, can also be translated as drug use. I don't think you need me to warn anybody that's interested in going to heaven about the moral implications of that. So a few examples of these practices which can produce and stimulate altered states of consciousness that can open doors to demonic influence, centering prayer, yoga, and also practices like tai chi. Now tai chi, reiki, and anything associated with manipulating chi or ki in the martial arts are also problematic for another reason, and that's the practitioners are specifically opening themselves up to acquiring certain preternatural powers, those powers. Or of demonic origin. In the case of Reiki, these powers have to do with healing by the laying on of hands, and I personally know an exorcist, who in the course of a blessing is actually spoken to and cast out a demon involved in this type of healing. He also talked to at least two people that had been healed by that guy when he was laying on hands before he knew what was in him. In the case of Tai Chi or, or Qi Kung or anything, uh, with qi or qi in the martial arts, these powers have to do with channeling and occult form of energy, which is not of human origin. Here's one example I'll just quote. In the award-winning, nationally televised, 1993 PBS series, Healing in the Mind, host Bill Moyers discussed the popularity of the martial arts and the amazing powers they offer. In one segment, both Myers and the martial arts students were astounded as a nine-year-old Tai Chi master used the mystical energy called chi to send an entire line of students tumbling to the ground by merely throwing qi at them from a distance of some 20 feet. Interviews with the students afterwards revealed that they felt forced on by mysterious and irresistible power. This is the power that they themselves were seeking, close quote. Well, seek and you will find, but unfortunately in that case it's going to be from the wrong way, huh? We don't want to seek these kind of powers. We want to stay along ways away from them. If you're involved in any of those practices, stop. If you want to read more on something safe, not on the internet, uh, I can recommend a book. It has a forward written by a really great bishop. It's uh, Archbishop uh, Julius Porter, Julie, uh, Julie Porteus. He's now the Archbishop of Hobart Tasmania. He used to be in Sydney as an auxiliary, and he's uh, Sydney, you know, Australia, and he's a very experienced exorcist. The book is entitled Yoga Tai Chi Reiki, A Guide for Christians. It's written by a del brother, Brother Max Scully. So, Yoga Tai Chi Reiki, A Guide for Christians, by Brother Max Scully. I have it in my shelves somewhere, but I did find it before I came over. So that's the first warning. Now, because this next topic caused so much consternation, I'll go into slightly more detail. I'll open the second warning by reading an edited excerpt from an article on LifeSite News. Quote, well, Toronto, August 23, 2007. LifeSite News receives angry and often hate-filled responses to its noise reports on mainly three subjects. The most hateful and threatening come from San Francisco activists. Second are the angry emails from abortion and population control ad- ac- ac- activists. Third has been the bizarre response to our Harry Potter reports. Every time LifeSite News publishes an article with an alternative view that is critical of the Harry Potter series, we get a flurry of angry and sometimes downright hateful mail from Harry Potter devotees. Now that's pretty amazing that that's the one, you know, right after, after that, th- those activists and uh, pro boards. We'll just quickly consider a few problems with Harry Potter. This would obviously pertain to Twilight, all things in the genre start with a few insightful comments from a Catholic author and artist he writes It's Michael O'Brien, he's a best-selling a fictional author, too. Quote, the most obvious problem, of course, is the author's use of a symbol world of the occult as their primary metaphor, and occultic activities as the dramatic engine of the plots. He presents these to the child reader through attractive role models such as Harry and Hermione, who are students of witchcraft and sorcery, This has the potential of lowering a child's guard, both subconscious and spiritual, to actual occult activity, which is everywhere and growing. Rationally, children know that the fantasy elements in the books is not real, but emotionally, subconsciously, the young reader absorbs it as real. This is further complicated by the fact that in the world around us, there are many opportunities for young people to enter the occult subcultures where some of Harry's powers are indeed offered as real. It is important to note that children read fiction with a different consciousness than adults. This is something that has been overlooked by those Christian leaders who have written pro Potter commentaries. They forget that children are in a state of formation, that their understanding of reality is being forged at every turn. Wholesome fantasy, regardless of how wildly imaginative it may be, reinforces the moral order of the universe in a child's mind. Corrupt fantasy undermines it. The Potter world is corrupt fantasy with a little cosmetics. The cosmetics are the values woven into the tale by the author. Close quotes Michael O'Brien. Okay. There's a lot of other insights on life set news. You can just Google Harry Potter. We'll turn to the men of the church, Cardinal Ratzinger. 2003, Cardinal Ratzinger received a manuscript of a book critical of Harry Potter from a German author, and a letter to the author he stated, quote, It is good that you enlighten people about Harry Potter because those are subtle seductions which act unnoticed by this deeply disturbed Christian soul before it can grow properly. Close quote. Cardinal Ratzinger will turn to men who actually engage in combat with the devil, the exorcist. Mexico. Father Pedro Mendoza, the leading exorcist of the archdiocese of Mexico City, said the popular Harry Potter book and film series could allow the devil to enter children's minds and does a lot of damage. If you put all these ideas in a child's head that he can become a wizard, child believes that, and that is opening an avenue to which the devil can get in. Mendoza said, as the series' final book went on sale. Rome. The late Father Gabriel North is formerly the chief exorcist of Rome, and with 50,000 some exorcisms before his death, he's certainly the most experienced exorcist in the world. He stated You start off with Harry Potter, who comes across as a likeable wizard, but you end up with a devil. There's no doubt. The signature of the Prince of Darkness is clearly within these books. Close quote. The exorcists also criticized the disorder of morality presented in Rowling's work, noting that they suggest that rules can be contravened and lying is justified when they work to one's benefit. The Vatican's former chief, Chapter 6, also said, quote, Practicing yoga is satanic. It leads to evil, just like reading Harry Potter. One more exorcist story. I was personally present at a conference. It's ten years ago now. Which a speaker made some positive remarks regarding Harry Potter. Another priest lives in the Caribbean and at that time had seventeen years as an exorcist, immediately jumped up and I mean he slammed his fist on the table and he spoke in a very loud and forceful tone. And I took notes. I wrote down what he was saying as he was saying. Harry Potter is pure wickedness. I'm sick of hearing about Harry Potter. It's a gateway to the occult. I'm pretty big. Well, that's an understatement. He could play nose guard for the Steelers. This is a big human being, about 300 pounds, and it's big. So he says, I'm pretty big. Another priest and I were sitting on the couch, and a teenage boy, maybe 115 pounds, picked the couch up and held it by one leg. I speak to him in English. He answers in English. I speak to him in Latin. He answers in Latin. I speak to him in Italian, he answers in Italian. I speak to him in Spanish, he answers in Spanish. I speak to him in German, he answers in German. When I was exercising him, I asked where all this came from. The demon said, Harry Potter. I had four cases in one day of people with demonic problems as a result. of as a result of involvement in Harry Potter. I don't want to hear anything about Harry Potter. Not everyone gets possessed, but watch out. It was an impressive intervention by a guy that does this for a living. Maybe some folks don't want to listen to pro-life media comments. Maybe some folks aren't moved much by the comments of an author. And someone that writes icons. Maybe some folks can find a way to weasel around the word the words that part of Harlem Patsy. But if we're not gonna to listen to the solemn warnings of exorcists, the guys that actually fight the devil for a living, exorcists from Mexico or all in the Caribbean, all I can say is pride goeth before the fall. We'll close by considering several powerful ways to protect ourselves and our families from attacks of the devils. The first is the exact opposite of these Eastern prayer things that reduce our logical thought and make our will passive. And we need to get in the habit of making an act of will to close ourselves to every spirit that's not of the Holy Spirit. You should do that when you get up, you should do it when you go out, and so forth. You want to close yourself you just make an act of will. You're not going to feel anything. But you're closing. You make an act of will. I'm closing myself to every spirit that's not of the Holy Spirit. This does not make us impervious. But what it does do is it makes it a lot harder for something to get a good lick in on us. It'll be more of a glancing bowl. But if we're just passive and we get some kind of attack, there we are. Okay? So you just do that. It's really, really important. That's especially important because we have modern media. Films, TV, Internet. Uh, movies, uh, and and music. And a lot of those things have spiritual components all over the place, and that's not by accident. It's not by accident at all. They're actually, you know, in an exorcism, on the contrary side, a holy icon that's been written freaks the devils out because it has that spiritual power. But they do the same thing, opposite in a lot of it the media and the music. So, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us through music, you know. That's one of the reasons chant goes the way it does, and people will convert if there's really music. But, you know, there's other spirits that speak to us through the music. Okay, so that's closing yourself. How hard is that? It's easier than five. Adjurations. What's an adjuration? An adjuration is a psalm to Demand, may the name of God, to do something or desist from doing something. It's a psalm demand. He's in God's name, in regards to devils, the Catholic Encyclopedia points out that quote the name of God reverently invoked carries with it an efficacy which demons are unable to withstand close quote. Are we allowed to adjure demons? We're certainly not allowed to do the grand exorcism, huh? But Saint Thomas states quote It is lawful to adjure the demons. We may repulse the demons as being our enemies by adjuring them through the power of God's name, lest they do us harm of body or soul. So, we're allowed to adjure the demons. Anyone can do this. A Jew, a Muslim, even a pagan, any other, anybody can do this. The Holy Name has power. In fact, if they invoke our Lord's Holy Name, He'll aid them. And it's a powerful witness in those kind of cases that Christ is the Lord. Because He can invoke other names, and it's not going to help you one lick. But our Lord's Holy Name, huh? I'm sorry, but. Now that I've said that, I've got to correct one thing I've said. There's one congregation of the Catholic Church in which the superiors forbid the priests, who, by the way, priests are the very men that Christ, our Lord, put in the world to defend others. There's one congregation of the Catholic Church in which the superiors forbid the priests to do any adjurations, even to protect themselves from satanic attack for the first five years of their priesthood. It's very difficult to see how those superiors are responsible for such diabolical commands will be saved. They're personally responsible, not just for the problems the priests will face, but everyone who can't and won't be helped by those priests. And in this time of a complete and cold explosion like we've never seen in history, you don't need me to tell you exactly who's standing behind those superiors and prompting them to do such things. There's really only two choices in, in situations like that, even if they don't believe in the devil. They can't be saved, or else they do, which is probably worse. You can follow that line of conclusion yourself. Okay, so besides those poor priests, anyone can is allowed to adjure demons. One easy way that you can do that is by what means of what's called and called a binding prayer. A binding prayer is just the common name for an adjuration. Here's an example of a binding prayer: In the name of Jesus. That's the critical part. In the name of Jesus I bind you, Spirit of blank, and I'll explain that in a sec, In the name of Jesus I bind you, Spirit of blank, and send it for the cross. In the name of Jesus I bind you, Spirit of blank, and send you for the cross to be judged by the Lord." Things like this, okay. So in the name of Jesus I bind you, Spirit of blank, and send you to the cross, to be judged by the Lord. In the name of Jesus I bind you, Spirit of blank, and send you to the cross to be judged by the Lord. What's blank? Blank is where you insert the description of whatever happens to be bothering you right then. Panic, fear, lust, anger, whatever's bothering or tempting somebody. If it's being caused by a demon, we can tell right away just by saying this a, a number of times because that'll stop it, just like that. Doesn't, you're not doing an exorcism, demons are looking what you're doing is you're stopping him with, with, you're, with the holy name, you're stopping him from looking at that, 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 I don't want to get in too much but focusing on this one thing so you're, just, you're not moving him at all in that way you're not doing an exorcism, you can't do an exorcism don't even think about it an exorcism but you can do it in that's how you do it. One of my friends told me about how one of his little kids had been waking up something like fourteen times a night or so, and then he said this prayer before he went to bed in the name of Jesus. I bind you any spirit that interferes with sleep in any way, and send your hook across to Judge by the Lord. And the kid only woke up once. The next night he said the same thing, the same line. So uh, after a while he realized, Oh, wait a minute, that's what's going on. So he's so excited when he came back and told him, We don't do this for the whole universe. We can do this for ourselves and those who are spiritually subject to us, like our children. Huh? They don't have to be physically present. Might be a child in college. Other side of the world doesn't matter. Okay? We just want to clear the air around us. Uh, we don't have a specific thing we've noticed, but we just want to make sure in the name of Jesus I bind any spirit here, meaning around me. Back to me. In the name of Jesus I bind any spirit here that's not the Holy Spirit, incendiary for the cross to be judged by our Lord. So that's like, like clear in the name of Jesus. I bind the Spirit, who is not the Holy Spirit, and send it to the cross to be judged by the Lord. So we can be specific and name a temptation or problem, in the name of Jesus, I bind the Spirit, of blank, lust, anger, you know, whatever, and send it to the cross to be judged by our Lord. Or we can sort of clear the air with the name of Jesus, I bind the Spirit, who is not the Holy Spirit, and send it to the cross to be judged by our Lord. Now, material disobedience, Material disobedience means you do something disobedient but did not. Like you don't know a Ouija board is a bad thing and you play with it. Well, that's a material disobedience. You didn't mean to do anything wrong, you didn't know. Material disobedience is an open door. An open door means a devil can come in. It doesn't mean he will, but he's permitted to come in. So if we, a material disobedience is sufficient for a devil to come into our life. Those are the two things you need to know. Okay, now people that have the Angelus hand missile, for example, there's a, they have, the, there's a, I'm going to talk about the Leo the Thirteenth exorcism to save the apostate angels, the Leo Thirteenth St. Michael prayer, the big long. In that hand missile, it will tell you that you can do that. Well, that might have been true years ago. You'll find it in a lot of old prayer books that say people should say that. That might have been true. But since the early 80s, that is no longer true. There's a decision from the CDF, signed by Carl Ratzinger, where the faithful are specifically prohibited from saying this prayer. Why am I telling you this? Because it would be a material... It's a disobedience now that you know it, but it would have been a material disobedience before. And guess what? How many devils know that? Every devil in the universe knows this. But you might not have known that. Do not say that prayer. Because you're opening a door and you don't want something to come in. I'll tell you a little story. One of my friends, an exorcist, has been working for a year or two or whatever with a priest. The priest was an experienced exorcist. All of a sudden, he's got this inf- infestation. What's going on? He's blessing somebody with the St. Michael prayer this is a priest it's a little different because in the decision in the 80's it, it, the priest could still use it the faithful are prohibited well then they found out it was that prayer but they couldn't understand how could St. Michael prayer be an open door for a priest it'd be easy to understand with you if you came in and you'd be like are you, I was saying this well yeah okay because there's been another decision in 2006 no 2009 in Day that forbids priests from doing this without the permission of a bishop. And the worst part is nobody knows that. Because the congregation that got that decision kept it secret. And it's only recently been discovered because of things like this. So be careful. Do not, these binding prayers are fine, but don't open a book and be pious and say, oh, I'll just say this St. This Michael exorcism. No, just don't say that St. Michael exorcism. If you've got a priest that's experienced in trouble because of another decision, don't. Expose yourself at that level. We need to pray that all the priests in the world get informed of this because this is a booby trap for every priest. You can pick up a book like this Manual of Minor Exorcisms, and it's the use of the priest. It's got a nice, spanking, shiny imprimatur from Cardinal Pell, 2010. Here it has a prayer of Pope, Leo Thirteenth. This was authorized by Pope's, uh, it cannot be used by lay people, but can be used by priests. It can be useful as a general prayer of minor exorcism when the presence of evil appears strong. Except, so the guy buys this, it's from, uh, it's from Catholic Truth Society, got that imprimatur forward by Bishop Porteus, imprimatur by Cardinal Pell, and he can be in the same trouble that priest is in, because even Cardinal Pell didn't know about that when he gave the imprimatur. Don't do it yourself. I'm telling you, the word, the lesser is contained the greater. Those books, whatever, that might be fine back in the day, don't even think about it. That's just by way of warning. Okay, that's my warning. All right, that being said, let's close. Today we should thank God for calling our pagan ancestors the bosom of Holy Mother Church. We should thank God for mercifully granting us each the gift of the true faith, Immersely keeping us free from, or freeing us from, superstitious practices. Let's beg you, to the time that we have left to us, for the grace to call our pagan contemporaries, friends and relatives, out of their bondage to the devil, and into the freedom of the sons of God. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.